0: never make a decision that later you're going to have to hang your head in shame and guilt over something you've done or haven't done always make a decision for the long term that's the advice i give people open your bible please to the gospel of matthew chapter 7 if you would turn there now please Boy, oh boy, decisions, decisions. Life is made up of decisions from one day to the next, that's for sure. You know, we make so many decisions every day, little ones, medium ones, big ones. We make so many decisions every day, we cannot possibly remember all of the different decisions we make. We make a decision, I suppose, to uh, get out of bed in the morning. We make decisions about... um, Uh, brushing our hair, you know, having some breakfast. Are we going to have a cup of coffee today or not? We make these decisions almost unconsciously. We make so many decisions. There's no way we can possibly remember even half of them. Now, we tend to remember the bigger decisions. Hopefully we do anyhow. Big decisions that affect our lives. Sometimes we remember those decisions with joy and sometimes we remember those decisions with shame, big decisions that we've made in life. And decisions are important. Decisions are always important. Human history has changed dramatically based upon the decision of one single person or based upon the decision of a nation as a whole. It makes a big difference. Adam and Eve, for example, made a decision to eat of the forbidden fruit. (laughs) And what were the results of that decision? Hmm? We're still feeling it today, aren't we? You see, oftentimes people don't realize how important decisions are until they've made the wrong decision. Once they've made the wrong decision, that's when the light bulb goes on and they're saying, oops, boy, this was an important decision. I, I should have given it more thought or gotten a little bit of uh, counsel or something. Ah, there's probably a million decisions a person can make throughout their lifetime, and to be honest, many of those will be wrong decisions. We're always making decisions, and many of them will be wrong decisions, but we need to look at it honestly many, maybe most, of the wrong decisions that we make will not bring dire circumstance or horrible disaster into our lives. It may be, oops, you know, a a little loss of this or uh, next time I'll I'll choose better. It may be little decisions like that. But however, there are decisions that we can make that if we make the wrong decision, we're going to pay for it. Big time. There are decisions like that in life. I'm thinking of one now. A decision that every person in life needs to make. And if they make the wrong decision, well, disaster doesn't even begin to come close to describe what's going to happen. Sometimes a person's last words are these. What happens if I push this button? Too often a person's last words in life are "Uh uh-oh. So with this in mind, I'd like us to look at the subject Two Doors, One Decision. Let's pray first. Our Father, thank you that Wisdom is available for every man, woman, and young person to make their decisions, that You are a giver of wisdom. Our Father, we pray that You would help us all to tune our hearts today to hear Your voice, to be able to make good decisions. We pray that if there be someone here or watching online who has not yet made the decision to follow Jesus, That today would be that day for them. Help them to see the wisdom of it. Help them to make their decision wisely. Please bless us with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, back in Jesus' day, the city of Jerusalem was the focal point for all Judaism in all of Israel, Jerusalem was it. The city of Jerusalem was large and it had been expanded two or three times and they built big walls. It was a large city. It could hold a million people. And they had a number of gates all around the city. had big, high, strong walls and gates or doors if you want to call them doors. They called them gates. And these gates allowed people to come in and to go out. And they were all around the outside of the city. Now, they gave names to the gates. And that was important because if two people were going to meet at a certain gate, they'd need to know which gate. There were a lot of gates all around the city walls. And so they gave them names. And some of these names were the sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the dung, D-U-N-G, the dung gate. Imagine that. The Water Gate. And there were a number of other names as well. They named the gates according to the business or the activity that took place around or near the gate. The Dung Gate, by the way. The activity was on the outside of the city, outside of that gate. And that's where the refuse and so on. But um, if you were approaching the city of Jerusalem to do a certain business, certain type of activity, then you would need to know which gate to go to. You want to enter into the proper gate. And so Jesus, in His Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew is the greatest sermon ever preached. Preached by our Lord Jesus. And He went up into this mountain. The people all gathered there so they could listen and hear Him. And He spoke to them. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 7, He spoke of two gates, or doors, if you will, two spiritual gates, both of which lead into eternity. Eternity. Now the first gate he spoke of in verse 13, the first part of verse 13, is the straight gate. So look at it, please, in your Bible. Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Now the word straight does not mean Straight as an arrow. It doesn't mean straight as opposed to crooked. That's not what it means. There are two words that sound the same. Straight and straight. S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T means straight as an arrow. S-T-R-A-I-T, that's the word you have here in verse 13. That means very narrow. Pressed in close-fitting. It's like what happens to some of us after a few years, and we've put on a few pounds, and we find something in our closet, and we try and get into that. Maybe it's a pair of pants, and, you know, the, the top doesn't meet anymore, <laughs> you know, or maybe it's a dress, and it's all pulling and everything. That's that feeling of being compressed, that straightness. And that's what this word means. It's it's related, the word straight is related to the English word strict and also strain. Those English words are related to this word straight. Uh, In fact, the word straight is also used to describe bodies of water. Now, if you've ever taken the BC ferries... Perhaps you've passed through the Strait of Georgia. How many have ever heard that expression, the Strait of Georgia? Raise your hand. Yeah. And that's a body of water, and the the banks are kind of close together, uh, relatively speaking. They call it the Strait of Georgia. Anyhow, you can look that up later. The word strait, the English word strait, is translated from a Greek word, stenos. Stenos. Now does that sound like any English word you've heard before? Stenographer. A stenographer. What is a stenographer? A stenographer is someone who's trained how to take a whole lot of words and compress them into a tiny space. And they do it by using these squiggly little symbols. And if you looked at the notepad of a stenographer, you know, you'd mm, turn it around which way and You can't make head nor tail out of it, but to the trained eye, they can read that and they know what it says. Stenographers are uh, important uh, people in courts of law. You know, they're taking their notes so that a transcript can be read back. But the idea is something pushed into a small space. It's, It's squeezed in there. Now, back to, uh, back to the word straight, gate, the straight gate. <laughs> the straight gate, you cannot walk through the straight gate beside someone. Jesus told us to enter into the straight gate, but you couldn't walk shoulder to shoulder, side by side, arm in arm with someone through the straight gate because it's not that wide. It's much narrower than that. You couldn't do that. You couldn't walk through the straight gate carrying a large load on your back. You couldn't do it. You couldn't fit. You could only go through the straight gate one person at a time, single file, one by one. That's the only way you can get through the straight gate. And it was made that way on purpose. To get through the straight gate, you'd have to probably line up a little bit behind some other people who want to get through the straight gate. You'd have to line up and you'd have to take your time and wait until it was your turn, and then you could go through. It's not so easy to go through the straight gate. South of us here at the USA border, we've often seen these long lineups of cars. How many have seen long lineups of cars at the USA border? Raise your hand. How many have been stuck in a long lineup, one of those long lineups? Yeah, and it takes sometimes hours for those people. Uh, Just recently, when they've been opening up the borders for Canadians to get down into the States, the lineup was crazy. It was like, I think, five or six hours to uh, get into the States. Many of the people they interviewed that I heard, at least on the radio, they interviewed some. They had no idea it would be five or six hours, but when they got in there, they were stuck. And so they had to wait it out. And they were old people by the time their car came up to uh, to the border. And uh, the border also, you don't drive two cars side by side through the, those little border uh, entry gates, do you? No, it's one car at a time. But that's maddening. It's frustrating. It would be much faster if we could do two ca- No, no. They do it on purpose, don't they? It's something like the straight gate here in the Scripture. The border entry is straight. It's very narrow. Back in ancient times, a city, cities had walls. That's how you knew the difference between a city and a town or a village. Did it have walls? Then it's a city. That's how you know the difference in the scriptures. They talk about cities. So uh, the city had its walls and often, usually, I think almost always, they had at least one gate that was very, very tiny and narrow and straight. And they did that on purpose. Often they would do that because at nighttime some people would want to come and go from the, the city. And, of course, enemies would be there with their armies. And when the doors open, if the army could rush in, that's the end of your city. But they would make one door very narrow so that you'd have to really squeeze through. And if there were attackers, they could you know close that door. They could repel the attackers. So this is one reason why they had these narrow, constricted little doorways called gates here. Um, Spiritually speaking, we have the first gate here. The straight gate. And it's a gateway to eternity. This gate is very tight. This gate is somewhat restrictive to go through. And yet, this is the gate that Jesus is telling us to go through for our eternal happiness. Were there no other gates people could go through? Yes, there were. That brings us to point number two. Chapter 7, verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. All right, there's the first gate. We looked at that. For wide is the gate. Here's the second gate. A wide gate. The wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. And so here we have the wide gate. We had the straight gate, meaning very compressed, narrow, tiny, hard to get through. Then we have the wide gate. So the wide gate is kind of the opposite of the straight gate. Can you see the the difference between the two? One is very tiny, hard to get through. The other is big. Oh, through the wide gate, you could take a truckload A dump truck load of goods and whatever you want. You could go through that and there's still plenty of room to spare. Through the wide gate, a crowd of people could all walk arm in arm through the wide gate and still they'd have room to spare. The wide gate and the straight or the narrow gate, they're very different, aren't they? But listen, the destinations where you end up at, through the straight gate and through the wide gate, The destinations are different too. The wide gate, (laughs) the narrow gate, the narrow gate leads to heaven. The wide gate leads to hell. Decisions, decisions. What do we do? The straight gate, is going to mean some kind of difficulty for me. It's going to mean that things aren't going to be as easy as for other people. But you know the wide gate means that things are going to be roomy for me and comfortable for me. Maybe pleasurable for me. You see the differences. What are we going to do? Now, People have often come to me and asked me for help in making a decision that they they have to make. and they'll call me up or they'll come and see me. It's, Pastor, I need to make a decision. And what should I do? And my advice is usually always the same. Make a decision that you're going to be happy with six months from now. Don't make a decision that's going to give you some kind of relief at the moment. Make a decision that you're going to be happy with six months from now or maybe six years down the road. Never make a decision... That later, you're going to have to hang your head in shame and guilt over something you've done or haven't done. Always make a decision for the long term. That's the advice I give people. It's like when you go to buy an important item for your home or for your car. I think you ought to buy quality. I really do. But pastor, quality costs more. It always does. But quality lasts longer than cheap. You can buy cheap or you can buy quality. Uh, My wife, she um, made a decision, oh, about a month ago. There was something that she saw on the internet, I guess on Amazon, and it was a machine that you could push down to take weeds out of the lawn, dandelions out. By the way, I'm starting to learn that there's some nutritious value in dandelions. I kind of wish we'd saved some of those. But anyhow, she was uh, all excited about getting this dandelion extractor. And uh, she showed me, and boy, it really looked like it was a cat's meow. It looked great. But uh, she was faced with a decision. There was one for about $30, and there was one for over $100. Now, the whites aren't made of money. So, you know, we we have to think through decisions. But we looked at the $30 one, and it was made of plastic, cheap plastic. We looked at the $100 one, it was made of sturdy metal. So I held her hand tightly, and I said, push the $100 button. (laughs) And so she did, and it came, and it's really a joy to use, this thing. It's heavy duty. It can fall off the table, you know, the car could run over it or something and it it's great quality always outlasts cheap always does someone once said quality is remembered long after price is forgotten isn't that right some of you fellows had bought real beautiful engagement rings for your fiance who became your wife and then year after year, whenever you'd see that ring on her finger, you know, you'd be so, so happy. So happy that you, you went into debt, sold your car, your favorite couch, sold the dog, had to sell yourself to the boss for, to work overtime for free. And you, you went into great length to buy this ring, to invest on in your wife's finger. And... Um, It gives you joy every time you look at it. And qualities like that. And so that's how I've always recommended to people to make their decisions. Always make your decision. Don't make it based upon the heat of the moment or the pressure of the moment. You know, these people who say, you have to act now. You have to buy now. you got to put your money down now. I think 99 out of 100 of them, you don't have to. Maybe that very odd case, very, very odd case, you might lose but you'll win in the long run because uh, otherwise you're getting 99 losses to one win it doesn't make any sense and so anyhow make your decisions according to uh, good wisdom and quality and what's going to be best in the long run now the wide gate has got a lot going for it the wide gate in life has many attractive things but folks where does it end up where is the end result of the wide gate Yes, you can have your cake and eat it too, they say. You can have all of the joys. It can all be yours for the taking. That's the wide gate. But that's only for the the now, the, the short term. What is the long term game here? The long term game. And that's what you want to look at because the wide gate, even though it has a lot of things going for it, where does it end? Jesus tells us it ends in destruction 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 doesn't mean annihilation annihilation is when you cease to exist that's not what destruction is people who go through the wide gate and end up in destruction it means they end up in perpetual destruction that horrible experience where everything falls apart nothing comes together for you Everything goes bad for you. That's destruction. That's perpetual destruction. Elsewhere in the Bible, it's called damnation. We're talking a place called hell. And hell is a horrible place. Hell is a place where many people end up in forever and ever. God tells us in the Bible that hell is a place of great sorrow. It's a place of weeping and even gnashing of teeth. It's a place of eternal decomposition. Eternal decomposition, because the Bible says that in hell the worm dieth not. Now, if you know anything about the decomposition of the human body, when a person dies, the worms start to eat them. I know that sounds creepy. But in reality, the body decomposes. That's a nice way of putting it. But literally in the grave, you know, the worms get in there and the worms feast on the body and decompose the body. Maybe you've seen uh, a video of a speeded up footage of a a little bird or a, a squirrel and the ants and everything get in there and within a few seconds it just looks like it just decomposes. Maybe you've seen that sort of thing. That gives you an idea of decomposition. And the human body decomposes. But after enough of the body is decomposed, the worms die because there's nothing left for them to eat. But in hell, the worm dieth not. You know what that means? There's no end to the decomposition. People who go to hell are in a state of decomposition. Praise the Lord, that's not happened to anyone here, at least not yet. And I hope it never does. But in hell, it's another dimension. It's not like life here on earth. It's another dimension in which people live. They live in perpetual eternal destruction. They live in perpetual sorrows and weeping. There's no water there, by the way. It's a dry and thirsty place. It's a place of torment and flame and hell. We only know this because God tells us this in the Bible. Hell is a place of eternal regret. People forever and ever will be regretting things. It's a place of darkness. They'll never see their buddies. It's a place of cursing of God because there's a lot of that that goes on in hell. Hell is a place without the blessings of God. There are no blessings of God in hell. It's totally void of the blessings of God. There's no bird singing. There's no blue skies. There's no green grass. There's no gentle breezes. There's no water to drink. There's no food to eat. There's no smiles from friends. There's no cheery voices. There are no warm embraces. Hell is totally void of all of these blessings. Now, by telling us all of these things... Is Jesus trying to scare us? Is that what Jesus is trying to do? And the answer is no. If Jesus were trying to scare us, he he would know how to do it. He would certainly say different things. What Jesus is doing is he's educating us. Educating us so that we can make intelligent decisions. He's telling us what's out there. That's what Jesus is doing here. Remember, two two roads, one decision. Two major directions for eternity, one major decision how to get there. Okay now, we've, we've learned about the straight gate. We've learned now about the wide gate. But now, I want you to see the right gate. The right gate. And if you look please at verse 14. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Now remember the gates of Jerusalem. They all had names over them. You wanted the fish gate. There it is there. Look above. It's chiseled in the rock. Oh, you want the dung gate. Well, that's up to you. But there it is there. It's chiseled above the, the gate there. That, that's the dung gate. But here, these gates have no names over them. There's no big sign over top of the straight gate that says, straight gate on the way to heaven. There's no sign over the wide gate that says, wide gate on the way to hell. There's nothing like that. There's no signage at all. We have to be told where these things lead to. We have to be educated in order to make our decision about that. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing, is He's educating us so that we can decide. Now something else Jesus tells us is that many people are going through the wide gate, but few people are going through the straight gate. Now if most people are going through the wide gate and very few people are going through the straight gate, they're making their decision somehow. It's not like it's 50 or going 50% one side, 50%. It's not like that at all. It's most seem to be going through the wide gate. These people are making decisions to go through the wide gate rather than the, than the straight gate. And then a few are making a decision to go through the straight gate, not the wide gate. Well, what's, uh, what's the deal here? How are they making uh, that decision? I suggest to you that the people who are going through the wide gate are making their decision based upon what they can see. They look at one, they look at the other. It's like the contestants on a game show. Do you want door number one? Do you want door number two? And the contestants, they're they're looking at door number one and they're saying, oh, it looks kind of old and it looks like the hinges are rusted and it looks dirty on the doorknob. I might catch COVID. And then they look over here at door number two and it's new and it's gleaming and it's exciting and there's lights flashing around it. And they say, I'll take door number two. And I think that this is how most people make their decision as to which gate they're going to go through. The people that go through the wide gate, they look and they say, it's roomy. It's comfortable. Why, I could go through arm in arm with all my buddies. Why, we could get a big dump load of goods through this one. Wow, I like this. Hey, even the pavement underneath is nice and even. I won't be having to watch my step at all. Ah, look at that straight gate over there. Well, I'm going to have to line up. Ah, I'm going to have to kind of take my load off. I can only go through by myself. And it, ah, it looks like someone's going to have to even give me a push. It's so tight. I think I'm going to go for the wide gate. And this, I believe, is how most people end up taking the wide gate. Now, to bring that down to reality, in life, people are looking at what the world has to offer rather than looking at what God has to offer. And what the world has to offer looks so attractive. Wow, look at all of the money, look at all of the fame, look at the, the sex, look at the leisure, look at all, oh, look at everything. And then they they look over here. Maybe they look through the the doors or windows of Grace Baptist Church. (laughs) And they say, well, that looks boring. No, that's about as exciting as, as watching dust settle on the living room furniture. Nah, not interested. And they're making their decision based upon what they can see. That's interesting, isn't it? Would you take your Bible and turn to the right, to the Gospel of Luke just a few pages, Luke chapter 16. I want you to see two men who made two decisions. Each of them made a decision. In Luke chapter 16 and verse number 19, we have a story the Lord Jesus himself told us. Now, some people think this is not a true story. They just think it's a parable. But every time Jesus told a parable, He said it was a parable or He gave the interpretation of it. This is never called a parable. There's no interpretation needed. This was a story that actually happened. In verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Boy, that means he he ate to the nines, I guess. His table was full. All right, verse 20. That's the first man. Verse 20 is the second man. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Ooh, that doesn't sound so good, does it? Two, two different men here. Verse 21, And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now remember, these were not friendly little dogs. Like, you know, my wife and I have a little dog named Charlie. And he's a, a Shih Tzu. And his breeding... Now some dogs are bred as sheep dogs. And they, they go out and they round up the sheep. Some dogs are bred as guard dogs. You know, and boy, they, they protect the home. Charlie's breeding is different. Charlie is bred to be a lap dog. And he fulfills his calling in life. He lays there and lets us rub his, his tummy... He is a lap dog, and that's what he does in life. These were not lap dogs. These dogs that came and licked his sores were street dogs. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Street dogs. Flea-bitten, snarly, nasty. Street dogs. And these dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. You know, it sounds to me like this beggar, Lazarus, went through the straight gate. The verse finishes, The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes. Sounds like the rich man went through the wide gate, doesn't it? So here he is being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. By the way, this rich man, he was Jewish. That's why he cried, Father Abraham. He was a Jewish man. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. You know, here on earth, If you have lots of money and lots of silver and lots of gold, we call that what? One word starts with the letter R, rich. You're rich, but in hell, you could have all of the silver and gold you want and it does you no good because you can't eat it, it can't soothe you, it can't comfort you. You see, the economy on earth is different than the economy in hell. Hell has a different economy. If you were in hell and had one glass of water, you'd be the richest man in hell. Who's the richest man today? What's his name? Yeah, Elon Musk. $250 billion. Boy, I hope that guy gets saved. I don't know if he is. I don't think he is. But if he's not, I sure hope he gets saved. I hope he's watching this sermon right now. But in hell, one glass of water would make you the richest person in hell. The economy is different down there, isn't it? It's sad. All right, we go on a bit here. He says, verse 25, Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. Boy, there's the wide gate. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. Sounds like the narrow gate, the straight gate. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. And they have Grace Baptist Church, too, these days, by the way, I might say. Let them hear them. And he says, nay, Father Abraham, my brothers, they don't go to church. They'd be lucky to even watch online. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And that's false economy. That's false thinking. It doesn't work that way. Here's why. Verse 31, he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, that means the scriptures, the Bible, the gospel. If they don't listen to the word of God, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. They're not going to be saved. People aren't going to run to Jesus because someone claims to come back from hell. They're claiming that now, by the way, and they're putting out YouTubes. I don't see the masses of people coming to know Jesus because of that. I see people getting rich on it, but I don't see people getting saved. In this life, those of us that choose the straight gate, we may have to suffer a little bit of discomfort. But not in our eternity. The rich man and Lazarus, this story is a true story and it happened over 2,000 years ago. They both died. They lived for how many years? 50 years maybe? Give or take 50 years? Maybe more, maybe less. We don't know. But they lived on this earth for a few years. They died But now both of them for well over 2,000 years have been in their respective homes. The rich man is still there. He's still in hell. He's still looking to get a drip of water. He's still in flame. He's still in torment. He's still in regret. He's still weeping and still gnashing his teeth over 2,000 years. Not Lazarus. Lazarus is rejoicing on the streets of gold. Lazarus is with the Lord Lazarus is cashed in. Lazarus is a wealthy man in eternity. Our Lord Jesus taught us. He educated us. And he told us, there are two gates or two doors. There's the cramped, narrow one. Then there's this wide, luxurious one. The cramped, narrow one. He's talking spiritually now. The cramped, narrow one is going to lead you to eternity, to to, uh, uh, heaven the wide luxurious one is going to lead you to hell. Now what Jesus is not saying is go sell all your possessions and live like a piece of dirt and die that way. He's not saying that. God often blesses His people with abundance. Nothing wrong with that. Praise the Lord for it. But people who trust in the wide gate and they trust in their riches, these are the ones that end up in hell. The ones who trust in the Lord Jesus. You see, people say that Jesus is very narrow. Because Jesus said, I, referring to himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said that. Now if Jesus said that, what about all the other world religions with their famous leaders 23 years ago, I was in a car with a man. He had a picture hanging from his rearview mirror. And it looked like an Eastern religious kind of figure. I said, who is this fella? And the guy driving, he says, that's my God. That's what he said to me. And there's a picture of him. And I thought, well, it's a nice likeness, I guess. That was his God. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father. No man can get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. So where does that leave this man's picture? That picture is, even if that man existed, yes or no, that man is not God. There's a whole religion out there called Mormonism that teaches you that you can become a God. That's not right. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way. Jesus is the door. And by Him, we can enter into eternal life. But it's narrow, you see. It's not Jesus plus Buddha, or Jesus plus Confucius, or Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus and Jesus only. It doesn't include even your backpack of good works. You've got to get rid of all that. All of the good things I've done in life, mean nothing, nothing, nothing when it comes to getting to heaven. It's through Jesus. That's why it's very narrow. You know, you just barely get through there. and Maybe even you got to get a push and a pull on this end or something to get you through. It's only, only Jesus. Let me tell you a quick story and we're done. Two young fellows are in high school. Both of them don't care for the high school. They don't like it. They don't like their teachers. I don't like teachers. I don't like the books. I don't like their dirty looks. You know how kids are. So they're in high school. They're not happy. One of them says, I'm out of here. I'm going to blow this popsicle stand. I'm out of here. I'm going to start living the good life. And so he quits and he goes and gets a job as a dishwasher. And after a couple of months, he comes back to visit his high school buddy because his high school buddy says, oh, I hate it too, but I'm going to stick it out. That's my decision. I'm going to stick it out. So the dishwasher came back to visit his high school buddy and he pulled up in his car. It wasn't brand new, but it wasn't that old either. It was a nice looking car. And he gets out of the car with some flashy clothes. And his high school buddy says, where'd you, where'd you get all these things? And the guy says, from my new job, I am the number one dishwasher at the restaurant. Really? Yeah, and I got the clothes and I got the car. Well, I'm making payments on it, but hey, look what I can do. What can you do? Nothing. So anyhow, that was a very unhappy day for the high school buddy, but he sticks it out, and after a couple of years, he finishes his high school, and he decides he's going to go to college. How is he going to pay for college? Well, he had to get a job. He got a job waiting tables in the restaurant where his buddy worked as the head number one dishwasher. And so uh, from time to time, the dishwasher buddy would come out and look at uh, his uh, college buddy and uh, he'd say, uh, hey, where, where are your flashy new clothes? He says, I, I've got no money for that. Well, do you have a car? I've got no money for that. What are you doing with your money? It's paying for college. Paying for college. Every dime I got is going paying for college. Ho, ho, ho. And his dishwasher buddy went back into the kitchen. Well, after a couple of years of this, the college buddy graduated. And he was offered his first job at $100,000 a year. So after some time, he came around the restaurant to visit his dishwasher buddy. Can you see the difference? All through life, the dishwasher buddy couldn't seem to get a better job because he had quit on his education. Now listen, I'm not saying education is the be-all and end-all. I'm not saying that at all. Unless it's a a godly biblical education, that's different. But the education we get in the general college and university to get jobs and so on, what we would call a worldly kind of education, it's important, but it's not the be-all and end-all. But in this particular story, our dishwasher buddy couldn't never get beyond what he got because he quit on his education. Jesus Christ is trying to educate us so we can make the right decision. Because every one of us, we're not going to be here forever. How much time you got left? Can you guarantee me you're going to be here in ten years? Can you guarantee me you're going to be here in five years? Can you put up a 100% bona fide, ironclad guarantee you're going to be here in one year? One year from now, you're going to be here. You might say, well, God willing, I'll be here. You might say, I hope I'll be here. But you know it and I know it. We don't even have a guarantee on tomorrow, do we? You go to bed tonight and wake up tomorrow morning, there are millions of people that will have died. Some of them died in their sleep. Some of them caught a bullet. Some of them were strangled. Some of them put a gun to their head. Some of them were in a war and got blown to schmitterines. Millions of people will be dead when you get up tomorrow. Will you be one of them? You have no guarantee on tomorrow. But what you do have a guarantee on is you will live forever. Forever. Forever and ever and ever you will continue to live. Jesus taught us this. Will you stay in school until you can make a decision, a proper decision to trust Christ? Go through the narrow gate. You see, the only way you're going to get through the narrow gate, the only way you're going to get to heaven, is to realize, number one, that personal sin has separated you from an almighty God. Almighty God is as perfect as perfect. He has never, ever, ever sinned. And heaven is the same way. Sin cannot enter into heaven. Sin must be dealt with. Either you can pay for your own sin yourself, or God is willing to pay for it himself. You say, how's that? God came to earth 2,000 years ago. His name was Jesus. He lived a perfect life, absolutely perfect. He never sinned once. He never had a bad thought. He never said a bad, unkind word. He never broke a promise. He never did something nasty to someone. He was absolutely perfect because he was God in the flesh. He came for the purpose of dying for us, paying what we owe in hell because we owe a huge debt in hell. A criminal gets caught. He's dragged up before the judge. The evidence is all there. The judge says, how do you plead? The criminal says, well, deep down I'm a good person. You'll let me go, won't you, judge? That's not the job of the judge. The job of the judge is to mete out the proper penalty for the crime. God is the perfect judge. He has to mete out the penalty for sin. It means separation from God forever and ever in a place called hell. Now whether you think that's good or bad or just or unjust, that is what it is. One day you and I will stand before our maker and give account If you are in Christ, if Christ is in you, if you have humbled yourself and repented of your sin and received the free gift of eternal life, Jesus into your life, into your heart and soul, that's heaven. That's your guarantee of heaven. If you've lived your life kind of going through the wide gate, that's your eternity. Today is your day. Today, we call it, may the lost be saved. Today, you can pray in your heart and tell Jesus you're sorry for your sin. You may have never pulled the trigger and murdered someone, but maybe in your mind, in your heart, you've wished someone was dead. You've never, maybe, done any huge act of disobedience, rebellion against the state, but you've disobeyed your God-given authorities in life. Said things, done things, you know what I'm saying. All that goes on our record, our account against us. God is the judge and he says, I will put your punishment upon my son if you will receive my son. And that payment can be credited to your account so that you are no longer... A sinner, but a sinner saved by grace. Well, we could go on and on, but I think you get the idea. I think it's time for us to have a word of prayer. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.